0: All right, Jesse, last week's military murder was madness. What's the story this time around? When something horrific happens to a hardworking
1: mother of three one cold, dark November night, the police need to look closely at those who loved her and those who loathed her. Once a suspect is convicted, a surprise witness comes forward with shocking information. I'm Annie Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder.
0: hi jesse
1: welcome back everyone to
0: love murder a podcast about dirty twists, plot twists and love gone fatally wrong you can find love murder on twitter and instagram at love murder pod and on facebook by searching love murder podcast and as always if you enjoy this
1: show please love slash murder a five star rating on your podcast app subscribe and review to help new people discover the show okay before we dive in One quick update on the CrimeCon giveaway. That contest is totally
0: open now. I know some of you guys have already started, which is awesome. Yeah, I think we already had like 10 entries and it just announced today. And I announced incorrectly. So (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to update everyone on the rules and how to enter and when we're going to do our announcement. So- All you have to do is do a post. You can do a post to your grid or to the stories as long as you tag at Love Murder Pod and at CrimeCon in the same post or story so that we know that that's your official entry. And then once you post it, we will repost it. And that is how you're entered. And just a little amendment. We are going to make the announcement for the winner on Wednesday, March 16th now, not the 30th. Yep, exactly. We want to give you guys
1: a little bit of extra time to make travel arrangements if necessary. Yeah. So we're yep. giving away two tickets to CrimeCon. And I also know some people have asked us, where are you guys on the schedule? Uh, Well, we did not get <laughs> our SHIT together. You can tell I'm a toddler mom because I'm now swearing, <laughs> <laughs> spelling swears. But yeah, we did not get it together in time to apply to actually get to do any sort of like presentation or speaking. Unfortunately, we definitely will next year. We weren't sure what's going on with COVID in our families this year. So this year, we're just going. We're going to meet you guys. We're going to do some sort of hang for our lovers and figure out some cool stuff. We'll sell some merch. We'll be at a table and we'll let you guys know when we find out where we're going to be so you
0: can come find us. Yeah, we're going to have some exclusive crime con merch that we launched there that is not on the site before. So No, and
1: Andy's been, you've been tirelessly working on this despite everything else you've got going on, which is so great that, I was going to say I married somebody, I am married to (laughs) you, that I've partnered with somebody who is like the best at all the things I am not good at. You are an editor, you are also a apparel person. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. We very much (laughs) compliment each other. (laughs) Also, we're together. This is...
0: So exciting. (laughs) We are. I took the train up tonight in the middle of my New York market. Yep. And then I'm going to go back down to New York City with her tomorrow. For what? For your
1: birthday. Yay! Andy's birthday is this Friday. So I am um, busy working on digging out some
0: embarrassing photos of her from our early 20s. Oh, my God. Amazing. To post on the gram for your birthday. <laughs> um, also, we have to do a quick shout out to my friend Harold, who I saw in New York, who oh, has been listening is. for two years. Oh, my God. Love you, Harold. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you so much for listening all over the country during your travels over COVID. And we're really proud of you.
1: Yeah. And also, we have another shout out. This episode, recommended by Janelle P. Ooh. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you for all your insider information about this case. It is a relatively local case to Janelle, and I appreciate it because this is a very twisty-turny case, I Andy. I love
0: twisty-turny. I think
1: you're going to really appreciate this one. And we've got some villains. I know you like a villain.
0: I do like a villain. Are there any like times where I get to guess in the episode?
1: I mean, I'm going to try to. Okay. Yeah. I actually had a a listener write to me and they're like, hey, can you make Andy guess again? Because I kind of miss that. (laughs) I miss it when you told the stories in a way that we didn't know and you made Andy guess. And I was like, okay, I'm trying. It's really hard. It's really hard. Okay. (laughs) I'm not a a suspense writer. My sources today are Wilder Intentions by C.J. Wynn and a Dateline Secrets Uncovered Season 10 Episode 25 called Prairie Confidential. So many people recently asked me, can you give the exact season and episode of the show? Because they wanted to see it, especially with the Body Buried in the Basement episode recently. So I had to like answer a lot of personal messages. So I'm being very explicit this time, guys. It is Dateline Secrets Uncovered Season 10 episode 25.
0: And how many minutes in do you have to be in order to see the exact crime? (laughs) (laughs) That I'm not telling you. Watch the whole episode.
1: All right. And let us begin. At 6.55 in the morning on a cold, dark day in Minot, Nebraska, Christopher Jackson was doing his best to calm his anxiety. He was working the night shift, stocking shelves for Walmart, and his shift was nearly up. Usually, by now, he would have gotten some confirmation that his fiancée, Angela, was on her way to pick him up when his shift ended at 7 in the morning.
0: Oof, rough.
1: Super rough.
0: I used to do nighttime shifts for
1: editing. It's hard yeah. work. I mean, wait till you hear about their situation, too. It seems very difficult. The couple usually texted and talked on all of Christopher's breaks, but he hadn't heard from her since 2 in the morning. Usually, he'd just assumed she was just getting some much-needed rest, if anyone deserved it. It was Angela. She was putting herself through nursing school while raising three children. Um. Who wouldn't need a nap. But tonight, she had been scared. At 11 p.m., she had texted him that she was certain she had heard odd noises outside of their house. Even the sound of someone maybe trying to jiggle the door handle open. Okay. He calmed her and Angela had called him during his midnight and 2 a.m. break, so he thought everything was fine. When she didn't respond at 5 a.m., he thought, of course she was sleeping, but now, where could she be? His thoughts raced back to that 11 p.m. text. When she hadn't called or arrived five minutes later, which was completely unlike Angela, Christopher jumped into a taxi that idled outside during Walmart shift changes and gave the address of their small white house. The cabbie pulled into the wrong driveway next door, but it happened to be right next to their bedroom window. He rapped on the window to wake up Angela, but nothing. He pounded harder, again, not a sound. Rounding the front of the house, he saw her red car parked in front and frowned. Then his eyes went to the door and he felt a chill run up his spine. The door was wide open. The bitter North Dakota November cold blowing in. There was no way Angela would leave the door like this. Not when she was scared about being alone at night. And was she nuts. with the kids? She has one of her children with her. Where are the others? So the two other older children are with their father. Okay. It's a different father. And the two-year-old of Christopher and Angela, their son Carter, is supposed to be in the home with her. Okay. When he got closer, he realized that the door was badly damaged. It looked as if somebody had kicked it in.
0: If someone was jingling on the door, Dan would literally, like, speed home.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Nathaniel when I was talking to him about the story was like, I would grab one of the lawnmowers from the lawn section and ride it yeah. to your house. Yeah. But, you know, Christopher did say that Angela was often scared okay, at night and, you know, we'll discuss whether later. She had reason to be and he didn't know. Yeah. But oftentimes she reported feeling like somebody was watching her or something weird was going on and she was always okay. So the couple together had kind of like marked it up to like, oh, you know, it's just weird being in the house alone at night. Okay. And the other thing that Christopher thought was that they lived across from an elementary school and like right next to a church. Okay. So it was a pretty public area. Yep. Where you wouldn't imagine somebody breaking in or, or, you know, coming after you. So they had kind of concluded that potentially, you know, she was just a little paranoid without him there yeah. for her, you yeah. know. And that was what was going on. With fear rising in his throat, he yelled for his fiancée, and then weekly he called his two-year-old son's name. Like I said, Angela's other two children were at their father's, but his baby was in that home, afraid at the scene he might find in the deadly silent house. Instead of going in, Christopher called 911. Smart. So what happened to Angela and baby Carter? And who could have broken down the door? Was Christopher truly at Walmart all night? And can we trust him? All questions that will be answered today in this shocking tale of love, passion, jealousy, and rage. And just when you think it's over, Andy, stay tuned. Like you have any choice. Because it's going to get a whole lot crazier. Uh, I do have one trigger warning for domestic abuse, guys.
0: Did you say that this is a case close to Janelle's? Like it's yes. A- so
1: Janelle lives in North Dakota. Okay. And I think... I'm not sure, sorry, Janelle, I don't remember exactly where you live in North Dakota, but I think that she has some familiarity with Minot, and she actually helped me out because it is spelled M-I-N-O-T, and she was like, just so you know, it's spelled like, why not my not.
0: Okay. Not Minot. Sorry, not. pronounce
1: like my not why not? Minot. Not Minot. Minot. North Dakota. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so
1: we're in Minot, okay. North Dakota. So let's start by talking about Angela, our potentially missing mama. Angela Shannon was born on September 30th, 1985, the second daughter of Tony and Linda Small. Her sister, Crystal, was only 13 months older than her. So the girls were like as close as twins. Yeah. And they they looked a lot alike too, especially when they were babies. They both had these like cute little cherub-like cheeks and dark hair. So their parents did divorce when they were still really young. I mean, I, probably when Angela was only a few months old. And Mother Linda eventually met and married a really nice guy named Russ Hollenbeck. Russ and Linda married in the mid-90s and moved the family to Phoenix City, Alabama. Crystal and Angela were adopted by Russ, and they took his last name. They considered him like their father in every essence of the word. Angela was a super happy child. Her parents were stable and loving. Her sister was her best friend, and the family belonged to a Mormon church that made her feel right at home. And I guess also the like Phoenix City at the time had a lot of young families. So they said it it was like something where you could like run down the street and every house had a bunch of kids in it, you know. She soon blossomed into a beautiful young woman with chestnut brown hair, warm eyes and a very engaging smile. Determined and ambitious, Angela was on the honor roll. She was a member of the ROTC, and she also played sax in the marching band. Oh, sexy sax. Due to her Mormon faith, Angela didn't smoke, drink, or engage in sexual hijinks like most of the kids her age. She wasn't really all that interested in dating either until she fell for Christopher Jackson. Christopher was a big bear of a guy. He was kind, large, funny, and sweet, and he was absolutely besotted with Angela. The couple had great chemistry and a natural rapport, just a really easy way of being with one another.
0: Yeah. Is he also Mormon?
1: No. So he might sound familiar because he's the Christopher from the beginning of our story. Oh,
0: I figured. (laughs)
1: I don't believe he went to her church, but they just had a really good way of being with one another. And they did end up dating all throughout high school on and off. But Angela always had this nagging feeling that they just didn't want the same things in life. Well, Christopher was content to drop out of high school and he wasn't super motivated. Angela had set her sights on becoming a pediatrician. Oh, Due to her hard work, she had even been awarded a full medical scholarship to the University of South Alabama through the Army. While at school, Angela started dating a Baptist preacher's son from New York named Daniel. The relationship likely would have been more of a short-lived college fling had it not been for the fact that Angela got pregnant. Yeah, only a few weeks into their relationship. And into school. And into school, because both teenagers were fairly religious, you know, he's the son of a Baptist preacher, she's Mormon, they decided to tie the knot before having the baby. Angela was actually really excited about the pregnancy. She had always wanted to have a large family. And even prior to this pregnancy, she had told people that she wanted to have seven children. Okay,
0: well, that's a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. But, too, yeah, if you want to be a pediatrician, you, you love have- kids. Exactly. Like, you love kids.
1: Yeah, and and this is the hard thing because she had the dream of having this large family and also having a career as a pediatrician. But because she was pregnant, she lost her Army scholarship. Okay, that's not cool. Not cool. I wish that they would have just given her some time off.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. the appropriate way to handle that. I think
1: it, at the time, I mean, this is 2000s, early 2000s, I think. Yeah, because she's your age. She's 1985. I don't like that. Yeah. And so unfortunately, because this went against whatever code of ethics, even though
0: she was getting married, she lost her scholarship. So people in the army aren't supposed to have sex either.
1: I, I don't know about the words <laughs> and outs of this particular scholarship, but I'm just curious. Yeah. She lost the scholarship. And with no other way to fund her pre-med education, Angela was forced to drop out of school. Okay. This is infuriating. It is. And it's really frustrating because you know, to accomplish her dreams of having a family, which is something she really wanted. She had to give up her career dreams. And I feel like women are often put in this position for one way or another. Either you you get to choose one,
0: you know? Yeah, and she had three things working against her because she also had to rely on that scholarship. Exactly. Too. She
1: didn't have the privilege of having, you know, her yeah. parents be able to pay did you, for... Did
0: you know that was going to make me mad?
1: I didn't know it was going to make you mad. It's very frustrating because she was such a hard worker. So Danielle and Angela married at the Hollenbeck family home when Angela was about seven and a half months along and little baby Amy was born on September 9th, 2004, only a few weeks later. Okay. Yes. And also all of the kids' names in this story are pseudonyms per the family's wishes. Because, guys, this is a pretty recent situation that we're going to be talking about. So all of the kids are still minors that we're discussing.
0: Okay. But Crystal and Angela are real names. Those are their real names. Those are, like, so cute for both of them. Yeah. It is. It's, like, so 90s. It is. It's yeah. very our generation. Yeah. How many Crystals
1: and Angelas were you in school with? Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. So, yes, definitely all of,
1: like, the next generation, like, all of Angela's kids. I'm going to change all of their yeah, names. that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I guess that they kind of tried to keep it together. They even moved to New York to be near Daniel's family for a little help later on. But the young marriage did soon fall apart. While Angela was mature beyond her years and excited for motherhood, Daniel was not at all ready or prepared to be a good father or husband, which on one hand, in just that circumstance, I can understand how a 19-year-old boy would not be ready for the, you know, how crazy it is to be a parent. But on the other hand, it seemed like he maybe wasn't such a good guy at all because there was rumors of infidelity and speculation that Angela had been abused by him.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you have time to run around on your girl and not physically be nice to her, then you have time to learn how to be a little bit better of a parent.
1: Exactly. Angela said that there had been domestic disputes that had required police intervention. Ooh, not a good one. No. After two years of marriage, Angela filed for divorce and full custody of Amy. Daniel granted it and he relinquished all parental rights.
0: Yeah, he didn't give a shit.
1: He didn't. And honestly, this made Angela happy. Her sister, Crystal, said that she called her and she was joyful. She was like, I cannot believe he's making this so easy for me. I have my daughter completely and I don't have to worry about him at all. Adios. Yep. That's what she said. Angela packed up her belongings in New York and her dad, Russ, came to pick her and the baby up and brought them back to Phoenix City, Alabama. Despite the challenges of being a single mother, Angela did not give up her dreams of working in the medical field. Now, at this point, she realized that with her financial constraints and being a single mother, that maybe going through medical school wasn't going to happen. So she decided that she wanted to go through nursing school. Okay. Which is amazing. So she went back to school for nursing, she reconnected with an old friend, and the two became the very, very best of friends. It was like a friend that she had known since she was younger, and who also had a baby around the same age, and so the two of them would share their joys and their heartaches with one another. Angela also ended up meeting up with her old high school boyfriend, Christopher, but she was disappointed to find out that he still hadn't achieved his high school diploma, he did not have a job, and he was living in his mother's basement.
0: Yeah.
1: Christopher. So she really vibed with this guy, but he just did not have that drive. Motivation. Yes. Yeah. And though she loved Christopher, she knew that she wanted a true partner and a provider to help raise her
0: daughter. Which is totally fair. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: She also returned to her childhood Mormon church, where she reunited also with a man named Richie Wilder Jr., She and Richie had grown up together, but they had been more like church acquaintances rather than real friends. Okay. Now, Richie had always noticed pretty Angela. But as adults, now Angela realized how desirable Richie had become.
0: I love, like, church eyes. Church eyes. (laughs) (laughs) You're sitting in church, but But you got "Mm -hmm." thoughts
1: of sin. Churchy eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yes, they reconnected in church. And now that it was year 2006, he's a different grown man. It seemed like he was kind of a guy with big plans for his life. He shared Angela's desires. They had the same values. They obviously had the same religion. And they wanted both of them to have a very large family. Okay. She was also really impressed that he was so responsible with Amy. After having such a bad experience with Amy's biological father and, you know, her high school love, being a guy who really wasn't ready to take on that challenge, having this guy that she met in church and she knew, she knew his family. Yeah. And he was just so good with Amy. I mean, it was so compelling, you know? So, yeah, it was like an instant hit. And the two dated for a little while. And then after... little bit they were married in a Mormon temple in January 2009 and Richie adopted the now five-year-old Amy. Just like Russ. Exactly. I even wrote that down. They're both ours too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah absolutely. So also interestingly Russ was in the military and at the time that Angela and Richie reunited and got married he hadn't been in the military but after he married into the family and talk to Russ a little bit, he decided he also wanted to be in the Air Force. Oh. Yeah, so this was something that Angela was a little scared of because she knew how hard it is to be a military family. And she was also really happy in Phoenix City where all of her loved ones were and, you know, her best friend was and her parents were and everything. But she also knew that there's great benefits from being in the military as well. So she encouraged him to go through basic training and see how he felt. And it worked out and he ended up... Being stationed in Minot, North Dakota. So the family moved
0: there in June
1: of 2010.
0: All right. That's a big move. Big
1: move. So nearly as soon as they settled in there, Angela found out that she was expecting another baby. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) The couple was thrilled. But unfortunately... The happy news was only a spot of joy in an otherwise turbulent and increasingly abusive marriage. Stop it. Yeah, things had been... Basically, what Angela said is that when Richie came back from basic training, he was like a totally different person towards her. Really? hmm And this was a very, very, very hard time for Angela. So not only was Richie's behavior toward her changing after he joined the military, even though she was totally supportive of him doing so, but at the same time, in late 2010, her mother abruptly left her father, Russ, To be with a woman named April. Okay. Now, it seemed as though this was an affair that had been ongoing. And before the family really had a chance to kind of gather what was happening, Linda married April. Okay. And I guess that while Crystal and Angela were upset that their father was so upset. Yeah. And he felt very blindsided by it. Okay, Crystal very quickly was like, I love my mom. I love whoever she loves. Yeah. Everything is fine. Like, you know, there's other reasons why you would have to have an affair or hide something when, and that's not fair to Russ, of course, but I we can understand why it could have happened. I guess that Angela was less accepting. She felt very strongly that the church that her mother had, chosen to raise her in, the Mormon faith, did not accept, you know, gay marriage. And so she felt kind of like thrown for a loop as far as her father was left. He was upset. Her mother had cheated on her father. And now she was in this marriage that she didn't feel fit the values of how she was raised, which I was really surprised. Nathaniel's grandfather— is a minister, and he's very open about loving gay couples, totally accepting and not just accepting, but being very excited for the legalization of gay marriage. So I looked it up and I was really surprised to find that on the thechurchofjesuschrist.org that they said that they do not Support gay marriage. They said changes in civil law do not and indeed cannot change the moral law that God has established.
0: No, because if you're in a gay marriage, you can't procreate, and that's, that's like one of the exactly. Main, yeah, that's
1: exactly what they said. Yeah, they they said the point of marriage is to create children, and that's also why they don't approve of sex outside of marriage as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is there was kind of like a disconnect with Angela here, and I also feel like. It did not help matters that essentially at this point,
0: Richie was being really terrible to her. Of course, because then she's like, she doesn't even know what she's supposed to feel because she's being emotionally or physically abused. So it's like, how are you even supposed to? Oh, yeah. And he
1: was at this point, he was calling her fat, even though she was pregnant. He was calling her fat. She, He was pointing out other women and being like, why don't you look like them? Why don't you do your hair like them? Why? And she's a really, really cute girl. Wait till you see the pictures. She is adorable. Like, I, I can't imagine anyone having to go through this. And he also tossed in her face that her mother, like, had left her father for another woman. I'm sure he said some terrible slurs. You know, so she was being made to feel worse about her family situation at the same time. And- do we
0: know what happened to him in military training?
1: No, we don't know why his behavior changed so drastically okay. towards her. We have no idea. And we will likely never find out okay. why that change of heart occurred. So, the unhappiness in the marriage was briefly broken by the arrival of their son, Nathan Wilder, on March 15th, 2011. But by June, only a couple months later, the marriage had gone from bad to worse. Angela would write later that Richie began physically abusing her. She said that he would restrain her. He would often like hold her up a wall by her throat and that he would often put her into a chokehold until she thought she was going to pass out.
0: Okay, so he needs to go to jail.
1: Yes. She said that he threatened her by telling her once that he could easily take her out with a shovel and two bags of lye. Okay, well, no
0: wonder she's fucking paranoid then. Yeah.
1: Eventually, Richie, not Angela, filed for divorce in October of 2011, only some six months after their baby son was born. In his affidavit for divorce proceedings, Richie made alarming allegations about Angela. (laughs) He claimed that he had witnessed Angela slap and otherwise abuse Amy as well as call her demeaning names. Angela was outspoken in her fervent denials that such things had never taken place And everyone who knew her concluded it could not possibly be true. But unfortunately, it's an
0: allegation that people it's an allegation that people have to take very seriously. If they don't, then it would be complete neglect of any sort of care for the child by the administration or authorities.
1: Yes. And they're also on a military base and he is enlisted. You know, she is not. So it seems like a lot of people
0: took his word for it. Well, he's also a man.
1: Yes. And I mean, again, <laughs> we can circle back to the fact that like I would rather people have to go through
0: vigorous interrogation when there's any allegations of child abuse, obviously, yeah. than not, you know. But also let's remember that the military already dumped her once.
1: Yes, exactly. She's already um, been burned by from them. the scholarship. Yeah. Yep. So essentially what happened here was that the military told her that in order to see her children again, she had to go through counseling and anger management courses. Oh, my God. So regardless of whether it had occurred or not, she needed to go through all of this. And she agreed because, of course, anyone would yes. to be able to see and take care of their children. So she began these counseling courses. And shortly after that, Richie filed for the court to dismiss the divorce proceedings and the couple reunited. One month later less than 30 days, actually, he filed for divorce again. And now both he and Angela reported an incident in two very different ways. Richie claimed that after Angela falsely accused him of cheating on her on Christmas Eve, because remember, infidelity is illegal in the military. So he said that she was wrong and he wasn't cheating on her, that she then attacked him. And in an effort to get her off him, he was forced to slap her and then put her in a chokehold. That's what he said. She is barely 5'5". Five, five. He is like, I think, at least pushing six foot tall and, you know, trained, military trained. So it seems like there and could have been some better ways if
0: this had actually gone down the way he said it that had You don't gone need down. to put someone who's 5'5", five, five a girl, and smaller than you in a chokehold. Yes. He also accused
1: her of failing to go to counseling. And he said that she had threatened suicide and she was mentally unwell, which is another thing that men, you know, often do to women. Yeah, she's crazy. Exactly. In February of 2012, Angela submitted her own affidavit that Richie was indeed cheating on her. She had proof. And when Angela confronted him about what she had found out, he began. Hitting the ever living crap out of her in and front then, of people no there was no one home it was it was christmas eve <sighs> and put her in a chokehold resulting in her losing consciousness this time and she said she woke up realizing that she had not only lost time but she had lost control of her bladder while she was out that's how hard she had been passed out by what he did to her oh my god Angela submitted photos of herself after the attack, which clearly showed purple bruises on her left (gasps) eye, below her left jawline, and around her neck.
0: Oh, my God.
1: For once, Richie could not talk his way out of this one, and he faced a court-martial for domestic abuse, was found guilty, and kicked out of the Air Force. Thank God. Mm Mm-hmm. By May of 2012, Richie and Angela were officially divorced, but still fighting over custody of Amy and Nathan. One bitter pill to swallow for Angela was the fact that she was stuck in North Dakota where she didn't have any support, friends, or family. She was working in a job at a bakery, and so she had that, but, like, the only reason she had been in North Dakota was for him and his career and she even, now that he's kicked out of the military, it was kind of like, well, you can move anywhere. All I want to do is bring my children back to Alabama where I have a support yeah, but he hates her. He's not going to let her. Exactly. So even after the divorce, because he would not let her, the court said no. If, you know, the other parent says you can't move out of state, you can't move out of state and you can't even bring your children out of state without his permission. Yeah. So Now Richie is technically out of her life, but not really. I mean, even though he beat the shit out of her, like that doesn't really make sense. Like he he shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. He can control what she does and where she goes. You know, it's very, very frustrating. So shortly after the divorce, when it was one of her off weeks, because basically their custody was on one week, off one week. So he got kids one week, she got kids the other week. So on one of her off weeks, Angela returned to Alabama for a visit and she reconnected with hopefully her mom. Well, yes, my <laughs> I main romantically. Okay, Christopher. Yes. <laughs> With Christopher Jackson. So, Christopher had never stopped loving Angela. She was like his one and only, and he told her that he was finally ready to step up and become the man that she deserved after all of the pain of her abusive marriage, I mean her first marriage as well. Warm, kind teddy bear Christopher felt like coming home. Yeah. Like truly coming home. The high school sweethearts spent the entire visit glued to each other's sides and decided to give a long distance relationship a shot. Well, the relationship's distance got a lot shorter when Angela realized she was pregnant only weeks after that reunion trip to Alabama. Oh, my God. She is a little
0: fertile babe. She's a fertile
1: myrtle, this one, which is good. I mean, if you want seven kids,
0: <laughs> it's You want good seven to- kids, but also it's, it's good because it's like figured out a lot of the problems sometimes. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, well, well, I guess we're just going to be together now.
1: <laughs> Christopher dropped everything to move to North Dakota to be with Angela and their growing family. He proposed shortly after, and Angela happily accepted. As Angela and Christopher built a life together, Angela's ex, Richie, moved on as well. Richie was certified as a nursing assistant after being ousted from the Air Force and met a petite 22-year-old college student and divorcee named Cynthia Cindy Becker while at work. Cindy? Cindy? was studying to become a kindergarten teacher. And after a New Year's Eve date to welcome in 2013, the relationship moved just about as quickly as Angela and Christopher's had. Cindy and Richie were married eight months after meeting, and they welcomed a premature baby girl named Beth within weeks of Angela and Christopher's new baby boy, Carter, towards the end of 2013. So both partners in this former couple had another baby with their new partners within weeks of each other. That's so intense. So intense. Also for the older two kids, Amy and Nathan, that's crazy that they they had two half-siblings born that close together, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's also a hell of a year. You have a New Year's Eve date, and by the end of the year, you're married with a baby?
0: Yeah, so she got knocked up on the New Year's Eve date.
1: Essentially, yes. But the baby also was very premature, so... Actually, no. I don't know exactly when she got um, knocked up, but it was shortly thereafter because the baby was born at like 32 weeks. Very premature. And it was very stressful for them, but I do think it probably brought them closer together when you get through something like that. Was it because he was beating her up? No, no. He did not ever lay a hand on Cindy, according to Cindy. Okay. So over the next two years, Angela and Richie continued to fight over custody issues with communication growing so contentious that a judge ruled that they were only allowed to speak to each other through email.
0: Yeah. I was going to say through a like mediator.
1: Yes. And in fact, they weren't allowed to do drop offs of the children to each other. Their new partners mostly did. So if it was Angela, it would be Cindy. And if it was Richie, then Christopher would go. And it seemed like they didn't really have a problem with the other person's partner. Per okay. se, like there was no contentious stuff there. They didn't like the other person, of course. Like they didn't like love them. They weren't getting along and making but TikToks they can handle the kid
0: without yes yelling at each other. Yeah, exactly. It's like when my ex dropped off our dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he ex- give it to my roommate. Yeah, he like yours. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it it basically seemed like
1: they were never really going to see eye to eye about everything. They could communicate via email about stuff that mattered to the children. And now they had these new partners in their life. The, and the new partners did seem very genuinely good for each other good, partner. Good, good, good. Yeah, it seemed like they were healing. The kids seemed healthy. You know, it did not seem like there was a lot of bad mouthing of the other partner going on. And both Angela and Richie really did seem content with their new lives. Okay. And also they're busy. They've got new babies and stuff. Like who has time for all this bullshit when you need to pour your love and attention into a new baby, you know? So Christopher was determined to help Angela accomplish her dream of becoming a nurse. So he encouraged her to quit her job at the bakery and devote herself to her education full time. So cute. It's really cute. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. So in order to accomplish this without paying for childcare, which we don't even have to get into, which is so ridiculously expensive, you know. Christopher took on the overnight job with Walmart, so he was available during the day to watch the children while Angela was in class. Yeah,
0: but then when does he sleep? Like through like
1: naps and things like that. This is why I was telling you when you were like, wow, this is really hard to do an overnight shift. Imagine also
0: having a two-year-old. Yeah, and I was like 24 when I was doing the overnight shifts and I was sleeping like half of the day and I was still like, this is crazy. I could not imagine then watching kids all day, yeah, and there's probably hundreds of thousands of people who are like literally doing that. All
1: Absolutely, the time. I mean, we are, have been very, very fortunate in our lives to have a lot of help to uh, help us accomplish this. Even as podcasters, like I know, I I personally could not have done this without my husband's support. No, you know, he literally sets us up every day. Exactly, like, and and even like with being able to take the time away from our family, yep. you know. All of that, it's it, 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 it comes from an incredibly privileged place to be able to do this. I mean, we spent an entire year before we were able to monetize. Yep, Not many people are able to do that. And that's a, a real truth about podcasting is it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly costly. And um, we are incredibly privileged to be able to be speaking to you guys right now. And telling their story. And, you know, and telling this, this story. But, yeah, the truth is for the vast majority of Americans and I'm sure people around the globe – To accomplish your dreams, it requires way more work than it should. And her dreams are helping other people. Exactly. And that's what she wants to do. All she wants to do is help children. That was her goal in life. So he is taking on this overnight shift at Walmart so he can watch the kids during the day and she can go to school And it's basically them putting everything together. And she's so close. I mean, she's getting so close to accomplishing it. Good. By the fall of 2015, Christopher and Angela were delighted to discover that they were once again expecting. Stop it. (laughs) So she's like more than halfway on her way. Yes. At this point, it would be the couple's second child and her fourth child. Yes. And for once, though, she was having both of her dreams of a large family and her nursing career come together at the same time because she was only one semester away from graduating. Wow. Okay. So it was almost perfect timing because she could finish the semester, have the baby, and then start looking for a job. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. So it was a totally promising time. It was full of hope and optimism, which makes the event of the night of November 13th, 2015. all the more tragic. So we're going back to the beginning, guys. And we're at that night when Christopher is outside of the home and the door has been kicked in and he is scared to death and he does not know what's going on. And he called 911. So they discovered through Christopher that pregnant Angela and two-year-old Carter were supposed to be in the home but Angela was not answering the phone. She was not answering her name being yelled in the house. And she was not responding to the
0: tapping on her bedroom window. I feel like him calling 911 was the responsible thing to do, though. Well, the cops would look at it a different way. Of course, because he's the he's the husband or person of interest or whatever. So, mm-hmm. like, I get that they have to do their due diligence there. But I, from covering, what, 88 cases now, like, I think that... There's been so many times that we've been like, "Why are you touching that? What are you doing?" 100. But like- you
1: even said, "If you said Dan, there, I think somebody's jiggling our door handle. What would he have done? What what would have Dan done in this situation?" Oh yeah, no,
0: he would have been at the door already.
1: Yeah, Nathaniel's like, I would have like if the door was even like locked, I would have broken it down myself to get in to find out what happened to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's what the cops think. That is not a normal response. The door but, is and just I think wide that that's open. Good for
0: the cops to be thinking that. Yes,
1: absolutely. And also, he's not a true crime podcaster. He's not a detective. He's not a forensic scientist. You know, he's, they're like any normal person who has a pregnant fiance and a two-year-old child in the home would rush in and be like, is there still somebody here? Do I have to fight somebody? What's going on? Do they need medical attention? What if something had happened and if those five minutes, those 10 minutes he waited resulted in their death? You know, so I agree with you that it is smart not to contaminate a crime scene, but he doesn't even know what's going on right now. Yeah. So at this point, he tells them what's going on. The police told him to stay outside because now they're going to handle it. Right. So they're like, absolutely stay outside. We're going to conduct a search. And, you know, the first thing that they want to do is try to find the baby, the two year old. Yeah. You know, And so they obviously noticed the incredibly damaged door. There was no question that that was something that happened naturally or an accident. Somebody absolutely broke into that home. Okay. The second thing that they noticed was how neat and clean the house was. Okay. Everything, there was a place for everything. It's a very small home, but it was perfectly cleaned, which, I mean, more power to Angela and Christopher, because we just talked about their grueling schedule and they have a perfectly clean house. Jeez Louise. I don't know how they do it. Seriously. So they're first trying to find the baby. And he had kind of described where the bedrooms were. Like this is where the master is. This is where Carter's yeah. room is. And so they went into Carter's room and to their immense relief, Carter was unharmed and sleeping in his crib. Oh
0: my God. Thank God. I know.
1: He was totally okay. He only woke up when the police entered his room. Oh my which God. must have been so terrifying. So
0: yeah, of course, he I'm started sure crying. a little, okay.
1: Yeah. He, he started crying, and then uh, they brought him out to Christopher, which was good. You know, the baby was happy to be with his father, but we still have the lights flashing, a bunch of strangers, and... A missing mom. A missing mom. And, of course, the first question Christopher has is, where's Angela? What happened to Angela? Yeah. And they're like, we don't know yet because... The bedroom door to the master is locked. Do you give us permission to break it down? They have to ask. Because otherwise, if like she just passed out in there or something and they break it down without asking, they can actually sue the police department for damaging their property. Really? Mm -hmm. Even if the police
0: station like pays to fix it?
1: I'm not really sure about the legality of it, but it's better just to
0: ask because he's out there and then it, it, then they don't have any responsibility. Yeah. But like, just fucking do it. You know what I mean? Like, if it was me, I'd be like, are you kidding? Well, that's what Christopher said.
1: Okay. (laughs) He was like, absolutely break it down. Like, and now he's at, he has this, his baby. I mean, a two year old is still a baby to me. (laughs) Like, it's so little. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this little toddler who's scared and he's outside. He doesn't know what's going on. So he's like, break the door down. So they do. They break the door down. And at first, it looks like the room is empty. Okay. It looks like somebody had been sleeping in the bed. They're like, everything else is in place except for the bed it looks very must up. Like somebody just got out of it. Okay. And tangled the sheets. But when they turn the lights on, they realize that there are several pools of blood on the right side of the sheets. Not a And good going sign. down the right side of the bed. Not a good sign. So... They walk around the bed and in between the right side of the bed and the wall, they discover the motionless body of Angela Wilder laying covered in blood. Okay. So the paramedics were immediately called and it was clear to them Ugh. that Angela had been stabbed to death. Stabbed? Stabbed to death lots of times what the fuck and it had occurred several hours prior they believed because her skin was already devoid of color and it was already cold to the touch so at 7 38 a.m on november thirteenth, 2015 angela shannon wilder was declared dead Andy, I gotta tell you, sometimes adulting is bullshit. It's an onslaught of WTFs at least 20 times a day. Sometimes we just need a break from the day-to-day drab, maybe a couple of cuss words, a middle finger or two, and a few great laughs, whatever it takes to put adulting in timeout.
0: Seriously. Life is so much easier with a great sense of humor, and no one ever said it had to be rated PG. Smartass and Sass is the
1: subscription box meant for unashamed mouthy mofos. Get your fix of brazen
0: humor each month. Smart Ass and Sass items are curated and personally tested by the SNS team, a group of really mouthy mofos who want you to get a good laugh in your day. SNS partners with some of the best small businesses to bring you trendy and snarky items each month. Each box comes with a snarky shirt and seven to
1: nine unique items valued at $90 for only $49.95. The
0: SNS box is a perfect gift for that person in your life who has just absolutely had it up to here and needs a little bit of mental relief.
1: 100%. And it's also just a great little monthly delivery of self care for those of us who need to throw up our hands and
0: laugh every once in a while. Truly, my no-one-cares socks are now a treasured possession, which I lift my pants up to a little bit whenever (laughs) someone gives me some shit. Use code LOVEMURDER for 10% off first-time subscription
1: orders. Cannot be combined with any other offer not valid on shop orders. And follow Smartass and Sass on social media for your daily dose of attitude. We all want that happily ever after feeling of finding your soulmate. What if someone not only claimed they could help you find that perfect partner, but they guaranteed it?
0: From Wondery, Twin Flames is a podcast about what happens when the quest for love turns into a dangerous obsession.
1: Jeff and Shalia, a young couple famous on YouTube, teach about Twin Flames, a deep romantic connection with your perfect, ultimate partner in their videos. Twin Flames means divine love that you're designed for no one else. And they're designed for no one else either. But the path to finding your twin flame
0: isn't so simple. Some followers allege that they were encouraged to cut ties with friends and family that were holding them back. They were also pushed to claim their twin flame through any means necessary, even stalking. By the
1: time some members are able to leave the group, they don't even recognize themselves.
0: And they claim that the harassment to rejoin makes them fear for their safety. Jesse, this is so something the love murder audience will be into. Absolutely. If you love our discussions of passion, romance, and love gone wrong, you are going to truly love this great show. Listen to Twin Flames on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app.
1: Andy, I love the convenience of online shopping, but sometimes
0: that convenience comes with caveats. Absolutely. Online shopping can be a total mystery especially when it comes to something like shoes. Yep, how accurate is the
1: sizing? Are they actually as comfortable as they look? What happens if I want to send them back? Rothy's
0: takes the guesswork out of shoe shopping with comfort right out of the box and super easy and free returns and exchanges. From the unbeatable comfort to the fact that you can
1: wash them, what more evidence do you need that Rothy's shoes check every box? The fact that you can wash them? Yes, and they're made from recycled materials. And they're so comfortable, guys. I'm not usually a flats type of person, to be honest. No, you love a heel. I love a heel. I love a nice little platform all the time. A wedge, (laughs) yes. But these are incredible. They look really classy and they're
0: just really nice. They're pretty timeless. Solve the case of your next favorite spring shoe with Rothy's. Plus, get 20% off your first purchase at rothys.com slash lovemurder. That's $20 off. Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash love murder. Homicide detectives were called to the scene and
1: they were notified that Christopher Jackson, the victim's fiance, had been initially cooperative, but now he was getting really pissed. So they had told him, like, we're sorry, you can't go in there, Angela's unresponsive, we're trying to figure out what happened to her, we're trying to see if we can revive her. And he was, like, trying to break down the door, he was trying to get past these police officers who were trying to restrain him, you know, and this is another reason why they're growing suspicious of him, because when he could have just gone into the house, he didn't. But now like there's a ton of officers around and now he's like literally fighting with the officers. Yeah. Which, but I, I mean, from his perspective, I can also understand he was scared. And now that he's found out the worst has happened, he wants to see her and they won't let him see her. Yeah. So now they're like, they're making him sit in a police car with his child because they're like, we need you away from the scene. And so the homicide detectives are like, we would like you to bring him down to the station because we're going to need to question him. Of course. And, you know, he can stay with his child or, you know, bring a social worker in to... Yeah, they should
0: have a social worker.
1: Stay with the child, you know? And then the crime scene unit gets to work as well.
0: I mean, I would say stabbing is a crime of passion.
1: It seems like it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Immediately, it was apparent that the knife attack had been vicious... And Angela had fought like hell. Shit, really? Hell. Her hands were covered with knife wounds. And she had gashes all over where she had fought the blade, all over her hands, her arms. In the process of fighting back against her attacker, she had lost two of her fingernails. They were ripped off clean.
0: Whoa. That is
1: how hard Angela fought against this person. So- (sighs) <sighs> By the naked eye, it was almost impossible to tell how many times Angela had been stabbed. That's really? how bad this was. She had been stabbed numerous times to the face, neck, chest, and of course, all the defensive wounds to her arms and hands. I mean, it was incredibly brutal. An autopsy would later conclude that Angela had been stabbed 44 times. That is so crazy. I mean, it's you were
0: entirely cracked when you said it seems like a crime of passion. Yeah, I did not expect that you were going to say that she had been stabbed to death at all, like at all. I did not see that coming.
1: It was a personal, passionate attack that displayed a shocking level of rage and hatred. Uh The investigators concluded that the attack was indeed targeted based on the brutality of the scene But also the fact that
0: nothing had been removed from the home. No. And the door was locked, which means that— Her bedroom door was locked. Yeah, like trying to not let the kid be able to go in there. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And all of their electronics that were completely on display, nothing was taken. So Christopher began getting questioned at 9 in the morning, and this was a very fraught scene because he did not want a social worker to take his child away from him. He wanted the child to stay with him. Finally, he acquiesced and he finally got questioned. And by now, they're very suspicious of him. Okay, I mean, number one, we've talked about this numerous times in the podcast, guys, (laughs) especially because when Andy and I started this podcast, well, I guess after episode two, we were pregnant. Yeah. And the leading cause of death for pregnant women is homicide. And it is overwhelmingly committed by the father of the
0: baby, usually. I know what happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're already putting your money down? Yep. You're already putting it on Christopher? Nope. <gasps> You're putting it on
0: Richie. Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, you can't be putting it down on Christopher right now. No. Nope. I think she was pregnant with Richie's kid. What? Yep.
1: You think they reunited? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. This is getting twisty-turny for sure. Okay not <laughs> confirming nor denying that theory.
0: Because you said nor denying. I think I'm right.
1: <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. <gasps> what I am going to say is that this is why the police were suspicious of Christopher. Now, the other thing they were suspicious about was what
0: we've already talked about, which is why he didn't go in the house at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I, like, you guys are suspicious about it. I'm not. You and the cops. I'm not as I suspicious. I thought it was suspicious. I don't know. I'm not as sus. I'm not as sus.
1: Okay. You
0: personally,
1: if you thought Dan or Echo were in danger, wouldn't run the fuck in your house? You wouldn't break down a window to get in there? No, I would. Yes. It just, and you even know, you were even a true crime podcaster. You should
0: know better and you wouldn't do it if it was your no, loved one. I would, but I'm saying, I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't.
1: Yes. And, and Christopher did explain that he was just. He had an overwhelming
0: feeling that something bad had happened. And he didn't want to see it. You said that he had chills running up and down his spine. He
1: did. He did have a feeling that something very
0: bad had happened. Yeah. And
1: I can understand not wanting to witness that. I think that he was especially concerned about seeing his child.
0: Yeah. And his wife is pregnant. So
1: Christopher explained what happened that night, how he had talked to her at 11 and she was scared, how he talked to her at midnight and two and then not at five. And he told the officers that the relationship was good, though they did occasionally fight. He explained that Angela always drove him to and from work because he did not have a driver's license and he did not drive following a traumatic car accident in his youth. So given that Angela had dropped off Christopher at work and he had been at Walmart all night and it appeared that Angela had been deceased for hours it did seem unlikely that Christopher was the killer. If it was confirmed, of course, that Angela did indeed- Drive him to work, yeah. Did indeed drive him to work and that they could confirm with Walmart that he had actually been there all night. But after Christopher passed a lie detector test with flying colors, the police began to look at him as more of a victim as well. So after Christopher passed a lie detector test with flying colors, the police began to look at him more like a victim as well. And I mean- My God, this man had just lost the love of his life. Like the woman he had loved for literally his entire life and his unborn child. Yep. So let's cut Christopher a break here. So he, you know, they asked him, of course, who would have it out for Angela. And he's like, mother effing Richie Wilder. That is the only person I can think of that would have any problem with Angela.
0: The assisted nurse. Yes,
1: the CNA, (laughs) Richie Wilder. So they also talked to Angela's mother and her sister, Crystal. And her mother was like, I'm absolutely sure that it is 100% Richie. She said to the police, he tried to kill her. He beat the hell out of her. They had her move off of the base. She would call me every day, all hours of the day, telling me all the details about Richie beating her. No one believed her. And now she's dead. Yep. Now, Crystal, her sister, had a very hard time believing that it was anyone that they knew it was that that thing that like cognitive dissonance where she didn't want to believe that it could be Richie or Christopher, but she did. When the police pushed her, they were she was like, "It's not Chris. Chris lost everything. He's obsessed with her. He's obsessed with their family. There's no way that he did this. If it had to be somebody that she knew, it was Richie. Yeah, her abusive ex
0: husband." Mm-hmm.
1: After confirming the abuse charges that had resulted in Richie being discharged from the military, the investigators decided it was high time. They scooped up Mr. Wilder and questioned him. At 10.30 in the morning, they knocked on Richie's door. He explained that he had been aware of a disturbance at his ex-wife's home because her house, like I said, was located across from an elementary school, which is where their children attended classes and where his wife taught kindergarten. His wife, Cindy, had texted him about cop cars at Angela's residence when she drove Amy to school. Bizarrely, Richie did not ask the investigators what had happened, nor did he seem to care. After getting childcare for baby Beth, Richie joined the detectives at the station for questioning. And when he was sitting down, they informed him that Angela, the mother of his children, had been violently murdered. Again, there was virtually no response. He was basically like, oh, okay. Yeah, because he's a psychopath. Yeah, and this is very weird. I mean, we've talked about the normal responses to these things. What people seem to forget is to ask questions. A person who does not know about the circumstances of a murder will say...
0: Well, what happened? People even ask that about death. Like if someone passes away, the, I think everyone's wanted first question is how did it happen? Oh my like, gosh. Yes. Literally anyone who is innocent okay, and concerned. Hagin. Everyone's like, nobody yeah.
1: assumed that there was foul play, but they all needed to know how did he die? Yeah. What happened? You know? Yep. Yeah. It's something that we just do as human beings. Yeah. We have to understand what yeah. happened, especially yeah. around something like mortality because yeah. we don't want it to happen to us. Yeah. So the fact that this is the mother of his children, he's going to have to, you know, help his children through this, through this mourning process. He did not ask how she died, how she was murdered.
0: Richie, Richie, Richie. Who could have
1: done it if they knew who did it? He said nothing. He didn't even say, oh, my God, thank God my kids were home with me, which would be any parent's first thought.
0: He knew his kids were home with him. Exactly. I'm on to you. I'm on to you, Richie. (laughs) the detectives
1: were absolutely, you know, their interest was piqued at this point because they're like, this was an abnormal reaction to hearing about these news. So the detectives were like, well, you know, hadn't you been worried at all? Like when your wife told you that there was ambulances, ton of cop cars, there was, you know, crime scene tape all over the place. Weren't you concerned? And he was like, nope. Author C.J. Wynn wrote that it would be revealed later through data searches that Richie had spent the morning watching Asian fetish porn online. You are? Lying. Hours. Hours. How long? It would have been like two hours of Asian fetish porn. And that he had also received another text message, which is very disturbing, from a colleague who saw the news and that there was already a news report that there was a disturbance at that address. Apparently, this colleague of his knew that that was Angela's address and wrote in a text message, I guess you'll have an easier time getting full custody now. And this is later. So they, the police don't know this yet, but this is what was really going on that morning.
0: So Richie
1: didn't shy away from telling the detectives about the couple's issues and even <sighs> badmouthed Angela, calling her an abusive, manipulative liar. Yeah, it's a
0: lot easier to pin abuse on someone who's dead. And cannot defend herself. Mm-hmm. He claimed
1: that he had worked at Trinity Hospital from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. that night, and then he had returned home and stayed home all evening.
0: Yep. Wasn't 11 p.m. when there was she a- She was scared, yeah. Yes.
1: He said that his wife, Cindy, would alibi him, which she did. Cindy did. Cindy said that she was home with Richie. She woke up at one in the morning and three in the morning to help Beth, who was a fussy sleeper. And she said both times Richie was right there beside her. At one, though. At one That's and at three. to kill
0: someone. between. Well, she said one. he
1: was home after a shift, too. He came right home. So she was alibying him for the whole night. But there was a clear piece of evidence right there on Richie's face. A long, jagged scratch mark. You are
0: lying. <laughs> How did he just not c- close their books? Well,
1: they, got, they immediately <laughs> noted that. They were like, so how'd you get that scratch mark there, chief? And he said it was from roughhousing with his son. And his son had gotten overly excited and what scratched son? Him. Well, he has two. He has, well, Nathan,
0: the four-year-old, the one he shared with Angela. Yeah, because then he has an older daughter who he adopted and a younger daughter, Beth. Yeah, I know. Like for me, my son, who's four, scratches me across the face (laughs) in a defensive wound manner. Deeply, (laughs) deeply, deeply. deeply. So yeah, they're not exactly buying
1: this. So he also, unlike Christopher, refused to take a polygraph test. You know why? Liars don't like polygraphs. They don't. But they did immediately order a search of his vehicle as well as Cindy's, and they swabbed him for DNA. Mm -hmm. So they rushed Richie and Christopher's DNA to the crime lab to see if it could be matched from anything from the scene. During the search of Richie's truck, they found nothing suspicious, but in Cindy's otherwise immaculate Honda Pilot, they discovered one perfect small drop of
0: blood. So it's pilots. They always come with that drop of blood. <laughs> it's built
1: in. So they also sent a sample, of course, of that blood drop to the lab in the hopes that it would match Angela's. Yep. While the investigators waited for the results of the autopsy and the DNA evidence, they began to take a closer look at their top two suspects, Richie and Christopher. So they canvassed all of Angela's closest friends and family. They requested the security camera footage from Walmart and they hoofed it over to the hospital where Richie worked to see what they could
0: squeeze out of his coworkers. And lo and behold, Richie was putting patients in a (laughs) chokehold. Right? Squeezed out. You won't take your
1: vitamins? No, so they didn't find that. But they did find out that Richie was having sex with at least Two other women, potentially three, that were not Cindy. So CJ Nguyen discussed in her book the most meaningful affair. So here's what she said in Wilder Attentions. So the other CNAs reported that there was a woman named Jennifer who was actively trying to get pregnant with Richie's baby. Oh,
0: my God. uh
1: According to their co-workers, Jennifer constantly boasted about how excited she and Richie were at the prospect of having a baby together and that Richie had promised her that he was going to leave his wife, Cynthia. <sighs> Jennifer they said, was madly in love. She had thought she was pregnant two months in a row, but
0: was ultimately disappointed when her tests were negative. I know it's honestly so annoying because like your period symptoms are the same as pregnancy
1: symptoms. 100%. And if you're
0: like really convinced, you can like mentally convince yourself that you're pregnant.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Andy lived through this with me. (laughs) I had infertility issues for two years with Alden. Yeah. Two years before I had Alden, I did not have the same problem with Gus. It was like five months, but still it is a huge every month every month we thought exactly so jennifer is actively trying to get pregnant with this man's baby and the detectives did speak to jennifer and she did admit to having an affair with richie saying that had been going on for almost a year whoa according to her richie claimed that cynthia was fully aware of the affair and fine with it doubt it Doubt it. He told Jennifer that he and Cindy were better as friends than spouses and that they were planning to divorce. Jennifer admitted she was also married, but had been estranged from her husband for months. Richie and Jennifer had been looking for apartments together and were indeed trying to conceive a child. She said that the lovers spent a majority of their time together during the day when Cindy was at work as a kindergarten teacher. That's so gross. Jennifer also had a young daughter and the pair would watch movies at Richie's apartment while the kids played together. When the children napped, Jennifer and Richie would have sex. Ugh. Richie spent time at Jennifer's apartment as well, often stopping over after his 7 to 11 p.m. shift. Later, a forensic data extraction of Richie's phone would reveal a wealth of text messages exchanged between Richie and Jennifer. Although Richie had tried to delete most of them, they had been able to recover enough to know that Jennifer was telling the truth. In the messages, Richie and Jennifer professed their love for one another, relived the details of their disgusting sexual escapades, and planned a future that included moving in together and eventually getting married.
0: Was he like that with his other affair partners?
1: No. Okay. So the other woman that Richie was sleeping with also at the hospital was a phlebotomist named Joanne. And phlebotomist Joanne was stone cold. She's like, yeah, I'm sleeping with him. I don't want a relationship with him. I just want to get that D and leave. Okay. Amazing Joanne. <laughs> Joanne was, Joanne the phlebotomist was hardcore. G. So Joanne had no intentions of being with Richie. Smart girl. And then there was a third woman. Apparently there was an ex-girlfriend of... Of Richie's as well and she lived out of state they often sent sexually explicit photos to each other they obviously sexted and apparently they had been planning a trip together to knock boots over Christmas so yeah if this guy is not a killer he is certainly a piece of shit we know that for sure so later on Cindy would tell the police that Richie told her that he was setting up a business with Jennifer. Which is why he needed to get a lease in both of their names. And she believed everything. Cindy. When she was questioned by the police about his alibi, about everything. She's like, my husband's not cheating on me. Did all of it
0: like click into place when they were asking her? I don't know.
1: She was very protective of him. Yeah. She was like, he's a great father. He's a good man. You are trying to provoke me into saying something bad about him. That's what she felt like. She felt like they were lying about his affairs in order to get her to somehow turn on him. Yeah. And she wasn't having it. She was a very, very, very loyal wife. Wow. Yeah, so she was standing by him. They're like, look, you know about Jennifer. And she's like, they're starting a business together. He's told me about it. And they're like, look, we have proof and we have witnesses that say that Jennifer is having an affair with him and that they're trying to have a baby. And she's like, oh, I know all about that. And they're like, excuse me? And she's like, yeah, Richie told me that Jennifer wants to have his baby because our children are so amazing so that she's going to buy his sperm to have a baby from Richie. But they're not having an affair. She just wants to have a baby that's his genetic material. Uh, So he set this whole thing up so that he could get an apartment with his affair partner and even knock her up. And when, you know, there's a DNA test, he'll be like, yeah, I told you, she bought my sperm, remember? And Cindy is saying this like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense. Like he had somehow convinced her that this all made sense. Wow. Yeah. And then, like we have discussed, the detectives also found out that he spent hours and hours every day looking at porn. Mm-hmm. Author C.J. Wynn made several times a point to say specifically Asian fetish porn. Okay. So, yeah, they said that they have no idea where this guy found the time. I mean, think about it. He's got...
0: Or the sperm. You know, how did he find that? <laughs> how did he conjure up that sperm? <laughs> it's I don't, wild. No.
1: Yeah, so he was very, very busy. I mean, he's got a wife, two active girlfriends, and sexual partners. He's harassing his ex-wife, and he has and and he's sexting his ex-girlfriend. He
0: had to have been jerking off like literally every like two hours.
1: I mean, it sounds like he was very prolific,
0: for better or for worse.
1: While talking to Angela's best friend, the detectives found out that Angela suspected Richie's wife, Cindy, of stalking her. So Angela's best friend said that Angela had reached out to her and said that she weirdly got the feeling that she kept seeing Cindy around her house at off hours, that she felt like Cindy was, like, keeping tabs on her in some way. Remember that
0: Cindy has, like, a job, though, where she's a kindergarten teacher?
1: And she does work across the street from Angela's
0: house. Okay.
1: Now, when the police brought this up to Richie and to Cindy, Richie said that this was just ridiculous and also more of a sign of Angela's paranoia and instability. After five weeks of investigation, all signs pointed to Richie Wilder taking bloody revenge on the wife who had escaped him. All the investigators needed were the DNA results to come back, and then they could nail him. So it was a bit like Law & Order Maury Povich when the forensics came back. Richie Wilder Jr., you are the killer.
0: Wait, wait really?
1: The spot of blood from Cindy's car was Angela's. <gasps> 100%. Yeah, but it
0: could still be Cindy.
1: And the skin underneath Angela's fingernails was matched to Richie's DNA. Richie's DNA was underneath Angela's yeah. fingernails, the yeah. ones that were left from his brutal attack. Yep. And what a brave, brave, incredible woman she was to fight
0: to the end and be able to implicate her killer. Yeah, and also the fact that this psychopath stabbed her 44 times. I know. Like. It's terrible. It's really, really, really terrible. And it's just,
1: it's just unfathomable. Like how that must have felt in her home, in her bed. Yep. With her two-year-old in the next room. Mm-hmm. On Friday, December 18th, 2015, Richie was arrested for the murder yes. of his ex-wife, Angela. So right away, Richie lawyered up and he said absolutely nothing. He sat in jail scheming while the prosecutors geared up for trial. And then, three months after his arrest, Richie decided he wanted to talk. His attorney reached out to the state and they decided to hear what he had to say. Richie said that he was not Angela's killer, but he knew who was. Okay. And he could explain why his DNA ended up under Angela's fingernails. The real killer was none other than Cindy Christopher Jackson.
0: You're lying.
1: This is what he said. Yeah, but he's also
0: a fucking
1: liar. (laughs) He is a liar. He said that during a school pickup, Christopher had told him that Angela was cheating on Christopher. And that he wanted to break up with her and get custody of Carter. Okay. But he was worried about not getting custody. So he suggested, because he knew that Richie wanted full custody of his children, that they could help each other out. And kill her? Well, no, he had a plan. So he said, Christopher in Richie's story said, the plan is that he had some pictures of Christopher, Angela, and the children on vacation that proved that Angela had taken Amy and Nathan out of state without Richie's permission, which violated their custody agreement. So he's like, look, if you help me out, I will give you these pictures in exchange for you helping me catch Angela in the act of cheating on me. Because if I can prove she's cheating on me, maybe that'll help me in court. Okay. So Richie says that he was all for this plan. He wanted full custody of his children. And he said that Angela cheated on him too, which there was never any proof of that. So but he said that like Angela cheated on me too. So I totally understood where Christopher was coming from and I wanted to help him. Okay. So Christopher said, look, pick me up at Walmart at this time. We're going to go to the house and we're going to catch her in the act. We're going to take some pictures and then I'll have the proof. I will testify at your custody hearing about the fact that she took your children out of state. And you will testify at my custody hearing the fact that we both saw her cheating on me. This is
0: crazy.
1: This is crazy, Bill. And this is exactly what Richie is trying to tell the detectives happened. Okay. So he says that Richie picked Christopher up at around like 2.15 in the morning at Walmart. And then they arrived at Angela and Christopher's house to catch Angela in the act. But Richie said once they were inside, while it did first appear that there was another person in the bed with Angela, it turned out to be just a body pillow. He said at that point that he was like, I thought it was Angela pulling some dramatic bullshit. Like she had purposely made Christopher think that she was cheating on him to rile him up and get a remote, an emotional response. He said this to the investigators. Okay, But he said at that point, he doesn't know what happened because all of a sudden Christopher just went wild and started stabbing Angela to death. So Richie said, you know, obviously I have medical training. So at first I didn't do anything, but when Christopher stopped stabbing her, I went over to get her pulse to see if she was still alive. And when I reached down to get her pulse, she was confused and disoriented. And she thought that I was her attacker and she scratched me. (laughs) Yes, this defies—it is, like, hurting my brain to talk about this story right now.
0: The detectives had to have been like, hold on, let's go get a whole pot of coffee and a pack of cigarettes. Yes, this
1: is insane. So he said that he managed to catch her hands after she scratched him and calm her down. And she looked up at him as she was dying, and she recognized that it was Richie and not her fiancé, the killer, Christopher. And she looked up at him and she said, oh, Richie, I love you. This is the part where everybody said bullshit. Come on, sir.
0: Sir, you are a narcissist.
1: So he concluded by saying that he hadn't told anyone when he was originally questioned because Christopher had threatened to kill Cindy and their baby Beth. So the detectives listened to this whole story, they asked him questions, and now they're trying to actually find out more details about how he actually killed her because he's giving up details about he's like, So how did Christopher do this? Because they know that it's It's subconscious. It's Richie, not Christopher, you know. So they're finding out all the stuff about how Richie actually killed her. And then they're like, Okay, 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 okay. Sure, 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 sure. Thank you so much for this information. You've been such a big help. Such a big help. Thank you, Richard. We got one problem. We pulled all of the Walmart security footage and Christopher did not leave the store once. We have every minute of his evening accounted for. They are cameras everywhere in a Walmart. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty secure. Pretty secure. secure. Other than when he went to the restroom, we pretty much know where he was. And he absolutely wasn't at his house killing his fiance.
0: What did Richie say?
1: So he's like, I mean, that's impossible because he was definitely doing it because I'm saying that he was there and he was doing it. And they're like, yeah. And no, we don't buy it. I'm telling you, wrong decade. I guess apparently he had also hired a private investigator to try to prove that it was Christopher and even the private investigator was like I've taken some of your money and there's no way to prove this the guy was at Walmart the whole time (laughs) and oh god poor Christopher this is so so heartbreaking so when he was finally cleared by the police he actually moved back to Alabama with Carter And he was just devastated, and they actually made him come back to get questioned for this ridiculous allegation, which he did have to clear some stuff out from the house in North Dakota anyway. But, I mean, to go through this and then be faced with these accusations is terrible. And then he reportedly told the police, like, when he was getting interrogated again after being cleared. Like, this is this just impossible that I would do this? He was like, it's impossible. I would never do this. And the police said, well, why is it impossible, Chris? And he said, because it's Angela. Since the first time I ever touched her, it's always been Angela. And then he went on to say, I would never take away Carter's mother. This is something that's permanent and final. And I understand the full weight of it. It's something I'm still trying to cope with myself. But this is Angela. I know it doesn't carry as much weight with y'all as it does with me saying her name, but it's a piece of me that's gone. He had been devastated each time he and Angela had broken up, but there was always a small bit of comfort for Christopher knowing that she was still out there. That meant there was always a possibility that she would come back to him. And now she was gone forever. Yeah, she was murdered. She was murdered. And he has a little boy... That he doesn't know what to say to, you know? It just makes me so sad. It's gross. Yeah. So Richie had schemes on schemes on schemes. So, of course, he had tried to pin it on Christopher. Guys, I can't even tell you all of the cockamamie schemes this guy had. (laughs) For the love of goodness, if you're interested in this case, just... Go to Kindle and download Wilder Intentions by CJ Wynne because it is actually free on Kindle Unlimited right now. It's a really good book. It's also her first true crime book. Stop. It's her first and only, I think. It's just because she was passionate about the case. She's actually from Minot, North Dakota. Yeah, it's great. And she goes into great detail about it in a way that I usually do for you guys, but it would be way too long this time. So I'm going to try to sum it up. So he tried to say that actually he was wrong and Christopher wasn't there. He had
0: hallucinated him. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that it
1: was actually um, to hit man, a black guy, of course, a black guy and Hispanic guy. Oh. Yeah. Naturally. Oh, uh uh-huh. And that they were the ones who was actually there, but it was only because they were being paid $50,000 by Christopher Uh, uh to kill Angela. The family of four. No, actually, she had like three kids, and they're about to have another one. Yep. Yep, four kids, and she's in nursing school, so yep. they have one income, yep. just the night stalker. He's paying $50,000. And he's paying $50,000 to get her killed when they don't even have a life insurance policy. Okay. 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 Yep. Yeah, so that's what he tried to say. And then he tried to say that it was actually he recognized the killer because it turns out that the killer was his cellmate. Can you believe the luck of that one?
0: What? Wow. <laughs> yes. uh, the cops must have been having a fucking field day. Yes. And so he has all of these ridiculous uh, schemes. He
1: also tried to, he actually did have Cindy bail out a bunch of these guys in jail who couldn't get bail money. So they were using their family savings to bail these guys out because he would say, if I bail you out, will you say that what I said is true, that you heard this other guy say that he actually killed Angela? And they were like, yeah, man, yeah, man, you bail me out, I'll say whatever you want. And then of course, as soon as they got out, they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) So, like, Cindy was using all of their money to bail all these guys out for his schemes. Which makes me
0: think that she would also lie about an alibi.
1: Indeed, Andrea, indeed. Law. There was a million terrible plans that never came to fruition. He even tried to offer some guy $1 million to say he was the one who killed Angela. Which is like, where where are you getting $1 million, brah? Where, Where are you getting it? So, yeah. After none of these schemes worked out, wow. Richie tried to break out of prison himself. Oh, I love a breakout. Oh, this one was bad. It oh, was, it was like it. not even close. Basically, this is just so sad, guys. The security guards noticed that he wasn't in his bed like he was supposed to be at a certain hour. And so they just like panned over to the window where he had taken part of a broom and he was trying to like chisel at the base of the window with this broken (laughs) broomstick. And then when they like came to take away the, the wooden stake, they found bed sheets tied in knots into a rope under his bed. And so he planned to chisel out the window and then, throw the bed sheet rope down Mm
0: -hmm. what was the bed sheet rope gonna hold on to
1: I mean I maybe he was gonna tie it to I mean I don't even know Andrea this is breaking my brain but yeah (laughs) I (laughs) think this is not the Shawshank Redemption you need to say this already
0: came out didn't it yeah
1: this is not the Shawshank Redemption honey bun this is not gonna work for you Okay, so with all this madness behind us, we can move forward to Richie's trial, which began on December 13th, 2016. The prosecution argued essentially that Richie had abused Angela throughout their marriage, hated her with a deep passion, and finally decided that he'd rather eliminate the mother of his children than split custody. He saw a window of opportunity— He had a knife and he performed a personal, passionate and violent attack that resulted in beautiful Angela being stabbed 44 times while she feared for her two year old child in the very next room. But beyond motive, they had forensic evidence that put Richie in that room (laughs) and Angela's blood in Richie's wife's car that he had been driving that night. There was also a cellmate of Richie's who testified that he had bragged about the crime, mentioning that he knew Angela was pregnant, which authorities had not released to the press. So there was no way a random guy in prison would have known that if Richie didn't tell him. Mm -hmm. How did he know? I don't know actually know. I mean, she might have told him or she might have told the kids who told him. The kids are old enough now to transmit that information. So it would take a pretty, pretty darn good defense attorney to dig Richie out of this hole. But his attorney, he's no Johnny Cochran, I got to tell you. So this guy did nothing. I'm not even going to say his name because I don't want to get in trouble for talking smack about a still practicing attorney. His opening statement was less than five minutes long. I thought you were going to say five words. (laughs) <laughs> no, but almost basically CJ Wynne wrote about it in her book, like that everybody was confused that he was trying to say, look, you gotta not just listen to the prosecution. You gotta keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, listen to everything, you know, have a discerning, you know, judgment. CJ Wynn said it was like he was telling the jury that they were children who were putting their fingers in their ears rather than Adults who had taken on a very deep civic duty. It was just bizarre. And he also didn't present any evidence about Richie at all. Like it was five minutes of him being like, you're going to hear a lot of things and they're real things. But you're going to have to think really hard about what you believe. At the end, did he throw a smoke bomb down (laughs) and disappear? (laughs) I wish. Honestly, I think Richie wishes he had to, because that's how bad this defense was. Yeah. Oh so yeah, it was it was not good. He was like, this is a big deal. These are real people's lives you hold in your hands. So let's not just rush to judgment, guys. And then he didn't put up a single witness for the defense. Not one. Now, I mean, they say that this is not uncommon when you have a very strong reasonable doubt case, but there's his DNA underneath <laughs> her fingernail. This is not a strong reasonable doubt case. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. If you're an attorney and you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? You don't understand. He did a great job somehow. <sighs> please, please. <laughs> please. I am in the wrong. I'm just a lay person here. But like, it just did not seem like this was a winning strategy. Please enlighten us. Yeah. The trial was expected to be two weeks long. And because of the defense, it lasted three days. Stop. Three <laughs> days. Stop. Stop. Yep. In closing, the prosecution was basically like, all right, guys, the, his skin's under her fingernails. What, what more do I have to tell you? I mean, I can tell you more. There's lots more. But, like, let's just focus on that for a second. Because there was a legal order that they couldn't even be around each other. They're not even allowed to be around each other. They're supposed to communicate by email. So in what planet would yeah. his DNA get under her fingernails in a normal world? There's no excuse for it. I mean, there's, like, lots of other things. Like, he's a proven liar. He tried to break out of prison in the most pathetic way ever. Like, <laughs> you know, like, he's disgusting. He's a cheater. He's an abuser. He was kicked out of the military for abusing her. There, guys, there's a ton of
0: things. But let's just go back to the DNA underneath. I feel the like they should have just given the jury, like, one of those paddles that say guilty or not guilty <laughs> at this point, you know? like so easy. <laughs> yeah, and so,
1: you know, the defense obviously has to follow with a strong closing.
0: Yeah, and he's, like— Keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, keep your mouths shut. So
1: CJ Wynn put this in (laughs) her book. This is from the actual trial. Now, we know Chris Jackson was at work the entire night. Mr. Wilder believes he was set up. He told other people at jail that he was set up. March 4th comes along and he gives a statement to law enforcement that says that it was Chris Jackson. We know it wasn't Chris Jackson. But do we know that it was Richie Wilder? No, we don't. We don't. He was trying, and you can make this determination yourself. Was he trying during his statement on March 4th to deflect off of Mr. Jackson to get more investigation done? To see if Mr. Jackson had some involvement in whoever did kill Angela Wilder? That's for you to decide.
0: He literally didn't read anything about the case until he walked in the courtroom. He's like, okay,
1: who's my client? Is it Christopher Jackson? <laughs> or is, is it Richie Wilder? <laughs> So, okay, yeah, I think what he was trying to say, I think what he was trying to infer was that the reason Richie tried to blame Christopher was because he wanted to bring more attention yeah, to the no, case.
0: I, yeah, I understand. Okay, no,
1: it took me a while. I had to read that like three times to try to understand what he was saying. I think he was like, no, you know, Chris, like Richie was trying to help Christopher by blaming him. Well, <laughs> the jury might have been confused about... What the hell, Richie's attorney was trying to say. But they were decidedly not confused about whether or not Richie was guilty. After less than one hour of deliberation, they basically had your paddles, Andy. A jury of six women and six men found Richie Wilder Jr. guilty of Angela's murder. This is probably the least surprising verdict we have ever had on this show.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: So, you know, it didn't happen right away. There was another sentencing hearing, but then Richie was sentenced to life in prison without
0: the possibility of parole. That's like a long life in North Dakota prison.
1: It is, and he was um relatively young. I think he was only 30-ish at this point. So the only person in the entire courthouse who seemed shocked by the verdict and subsequent sentencing was Cindy, who sobbed in front of the news cameras. He's a good man. He's a good husband. He would never do anything that would hurt his kids, which if you guys watch the Dateline, you can see this clip. I stand by him. And at this point, Angela's daughter and son were still living with Cindy. So Angela's mother, Linda, was filing for custody. Good, But during this pending case, they were still living with Cindy. And so she went on to say to the news cameras, I am what the kids have now. They've been with me for the past year and they will remain with me.
0: No, honey. I wouldn't be so sure of that. I would definitely say no.
1: So this is usually the part of the story where we'd be doing an in conclusion with y'all. But I told you at the beginning, just when you think it's over, it's not over. So... We're going to rewind and we're actually going to talk. We're going to give Cindy a little backstory here. We're going to give her her own little moment. Cindy had had a rough upbringing. Her mother was absent and was constantly neglecting her three children. So Cindy was the oldest. There's two other kids. And she seemed to have like a whole stream of boyfriends and new husbands. And Cindy, unfortunately, did not even know who her biological father was. Yeah,
0: And she was the oldest. She was the
1: oldest. And in fact, she was 11 years old when she found out. The father she thought was her biological father was not because her mother was divorcing him. And when it came time for her younger siblings visitation, her mother said, Oh, you don't have to go. And she said, Why not? I have to go see dad. And she goes, he's not your father. You're not going to go. And she was like, Excuse me? She thought that this man was her father. So she found at 11 years old that the the father she thought was not her father. And her mother refused to ever tell her who her real father was. This is just, I mean, 11 years old is a very hard time as it is. Then her parents are breaking up and then her mother tells her that...
0: The person she thought was her dad
1: was not. And he ended up having a very hard time later in life, too. Even though he had been a very strong presence in her life up until that point, he ended up having a debilitating work injury and getting addicted to pain pills. So he could also not really be the parental figure that she needed or, you know, her siblings needed, unfortunately. And so it was just a very bad situation at home. She went on to marry... Two more guys have boyfriends. And then at one point when Cindy was older, she just stopped being home.
0: I was gonna say, the fact that she like went out and got married to these people is like, that's like a lot. You have to go to the courthouse, you have to fill out the paper. You have like.
1: I haven't changed my last name because it's too much work.
0: Same. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: she was, you know, her mother, Roberta, was on her own journey. And Cindy just couldn't be at home anymore. So she ended up moving in with her high school boyfriend, a guy named Trevor. Becker, and he had a very warm and loving family that completely accepted her into the home, even though, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation to have your teenage son living with his girlfriend while they're still in high school. Yeah,
0: but it, like, happens in euphoria, so.
1: <laughs> yes. So they accepted this, and they completely adored Cindy. Okay. They they realized, like, there was some behavioral issues that she had. She was very controlling with Trevor. But they were like, she had a really hard upbringing, yeah. and we love her. Yeah. Now, despite this, author CJ Wynn did talk to Cindy later, And she was nothing but rude about the loving family that adopted her during this vulnerable time in her life. She talked about how disgusting they were and how they were all large people who embarrassed her when they went out to eat because they ordered so much food.
0: Wow, she's gross.
1: Yes, unbelievably rude. So yeah. Basically, what happened was they reached the end of the year. And to Cindy's credit, I got to give her this credit, despite all of her hardships, she did work very hard in high school and she did get a scholarship to Minot State University. And when she was about to leave for college, Trevor proposed to her. They both later said that they probably knew it was a mistake, but he was very besotted with her. It was like his first and only real girlfriend. He was afraid to lose her, and she was afraid to lose the family environment that she had.
0: Yeah, who she made fun of.
1: Who she made fun of, yes. So they did end up getting married before they left for college, and Trevor ended up following her to my not State. Cute. But they both soon realized that the marriage was a mistake. She started working at a restaurant. Andy and I both worked at restaurants while we were in college. We did. And she went full party girl. Now, she later... We didn't go full party girl. Eh, you didn't go full party girl. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I don't know about me. But no, she blamed it on this other girl. Like, later on, she also talked to the author. You don't blame
0: it on anyone. You yeah, don't blame it on anyone. You don't.
1: She blamed it like, oh, this other girl was such a bad influence in her life who made her do shots and like whatever. No one's making you do anything, honey. No. So, essentially, she started working at this restaurant. She started sleeping around. She started staying out all night. She was staying at this girlfriend's house. And eventually, Trevor found a text message that showed that she was being unfaithful. He wanted to go to marital counseling. He wanted to try to make it work. And Cindy realized at that point, though, that it was never going to work.
0: Yeah, if it's already not working at 19. It's,
1: <laughs> it's not going to get better. And also, I mean, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Cindy for reasons that you guys will soon see. But I, I do think it's very hard to make a high school relationship really last meaningfully. Through all of the different developmental stages and changes in people's lives. And I know we have listeners who have, I I have friends who have, have, and I give them so much credit because it's hard to grow together. It's hard when you meet your spouse at 30 or 40 to grow together until old age, you know? However, this was not the case. No. So 18 months after they had stepped up to that altar and said I do forever, Trevor and Cindy were divorced in the spring of 2012. Cindy got a DUI around this time as well, and her life was pretty much a wreck. So she thought things were looking up when she met a charismatic bartender named Matt Walters, who seemed interested in her. So Matt had kind of like this former bad boy philosophical bartender vibe about him. He
0: likes philosophy and he's a bartender.
1: I know, I know. I feel like we've met like 10
0: guys like this.
1: So he's on the dateline, too, for reasons that you will come to see. And he's a cute guy, for sure. He's definitely a cute guy. She was very drawn to him. So she became a regular at his bar. And I guess on one slow night, they had some meaningful conversation. And she fell hook, line, and sinker for him. Now, the problem was that Matt had an on-again and off-again girlfriend. So when he was off again, he had a sexual relationship with Cindy. And when it was on again with his girlfriend, he basically just ghosted her. I wonder what the philosophy was behind that. <laughs> I mean, I think he recognized that it wasn't a nice thing to do. So eventually, you know, Cindy got tired of this. And I think that he got permanently back on with the girlfriend. So she became frustrated and she decided to accept a date from a guy she knew from work, Richie Wilder junior mm-hmm. She even brought him into Matt's bar to try to make Matt jealous. Oh. She later admitted to author CJ Wynn that had Matt wanted to seriously date her, she would have never looked twice at Richie, but she did and she was wooed by his supposed love for his children and the kids themselves. Having had such a terrible upbringing, she really, really did want to be part of a cozy family unit and fitting into Richie's life with his really, really adorable children seemed like the accomplishment of that dream. She did talk about how early on in their relationship, Nathan was like 20 months old or something. And she remembered that he was sick and no one could make him happy. No one could calm him down. And she like held him and rocked him for hours and all of a sudden she was like, this is what I want. I want to be a mom, which I can relate to that, that connection you can have with a child. But it was also kind of for the wrong reasons. I don't know if she was really in love with Richie, you know? Yeah. Now, however, with Richie in prison for the rest of his natural life, Cindy's thoughts turned to what might have been. And she reached out to Matt Walters.
0: Stop it. Could you imagine an old thing being like, hey, um... So, yeah, that guy I brought into your bar, it didn't really work out. He's in prison for life without a possibility of parole. But I was wondering if you wanted to talk about Freud again sometime soon. Maybe over a fireball? Oh, God. That's almost exactly how it
1: was. Okay, great. So she reached out on Facebook, naturally. So DM. Yep. She, uh, she DM'd him on Facebook, it had been... More than two years since they had spoken. it's completely out of the blue for this guy. And at this point, he had actually moved out of North Dakota. He was doing really well for himself. He was living in Colorado. He was a licensed electrician at this point. He had a fiance he was totally in love with. So he's happy.
0: Leave him alone. Yeah. And she opens with, (laughs) you've
1: probably heard, but my husband murdered his ex-wife.
0: Stop it.
1: And so even though he's very happy, it doesn't matter how happy you are with your spouse. You're like, uh, excuse me? What? So he responded to her and he's like, I actually have moved. I live in Colorado now. I have no idea what you're talking about, but what? And so they started chatting a little bit. Now, he did have, like I said, a bad boy background. He had actually done some time for burglary. Okay. So... I think at this point she felt comfortable thinking he's some sort of ex-con. She can kind of float him some details, make herself look like a little bit of a badass. She starts saying some shit to him that makes him uncomfortable.
0: Does she also not realize that, like, everything on the internet is tracked? Apparently no one does. Okay, what year is this?
1: I mean, this is happening in twenty.
0: 16, 2017, I think 2017. We, we know by this point. There's no for, yeah, yeah, we know by this point. Yes.
1: And so he said something to her like when he read about it, he's like, by the way, a knife is a stupid way to kill somebody, you know? And she said, I know it wasn't supposed to be a knife. That was the backup. He got impatient. So she said that to him in a Facebook message and he was like, Holy shit. Like she knows something about this. She was involved.
0: This poor guy.
1: Yeah. So he's like, I'm gonna call the my not PD and I'm gonna tell them that something shady is going down.
0: Good for him. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: good for him. Yes. Yeah, so he called the police department and he's like, I've got some weird Facebook messages. She's rolling to me. I don't know what you want to do with this. And they were like, would you like to be a criminal informant for us and figure out a way to get more information out of her? And he's like, I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So he did it. So he was living in Colorado. He had a ton of friends still in North Dakota. So Yeah, he's like, I'm going to come home. I'm going to see all my friends and I'll make it supernatural. And I will supernatural not supernatural yeah we get it yeah and uh (laughs) and I'll come home and I'll just be like I'm going out with my friends like do you want to come out out?" yeah let's talk about philosophy (laughs) exactly (laughs) and so (laughs) essentially they were like cool 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 do you feel comfortable recording her and he's like yes we have to figure out how to do it so they're like well she's really into you so why don't you like get her in a hotel room that we bugged and he's like no I'm engaged Good for him. That's hot. Yeah. He's like, I'm engaged. I don't want to have to do something to like get this information out of her. And there's only one reason people go to hotel rooms. Come on. Yeah. So he's like, no to that. If
0: anyone's ever caught in a hotel room with anyone.
1: Yeah. There's no question about what was going on. So the second thing there's like, okay, well, will you just like wear a wire? And he's like, no. Because she is paranoid. I feel like also she's a little handsy. She might frisk me. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. this is a situation she'll definitely figure it out. Yeah. So they're
0: like, okay. So what is the other option then?
1: We're going to bug your car. So you offer to pick her up and drop her off, yeah. get her talking in the car while you're yeah. driving around. You know, drive around for a little while. She'll need a ride anyway. Exactly. They also had him download an app that was better for picking up audio so he could keep it running on his phone while they were in the bar. So they had that as backup as well. So he agrees to this. She is thrilled, which, by the way, she had already been sleeping with another guy. Of course. That was like an acquaintance of his that he knew about. So it wasn't exactly
0: like she was like pining away while her husband was in prison here. I mean, she had to be getting it elsewhere if he was like literally jerking off like six times a day, <laughs> you know? So he picked her up and they decided to go to this
1: bar and then they talked for a little while. And then he actually did have his friends come to make it look very natural. Of course, like, yeah. you know, he's in town, he's got to see his boys, all of that. They're like drinking, they're having beers. And then he offers to give her a ride home. Yep. Now they get in the car and it's raining and she doesn't seem to really want to go home. She's like, I'm not going to sleep anyway if you take me home. So do you want to like go out and get some food? Do you want to like go somewhere else? And he's like, no. Like at this point, he and the detectives who were listening were like, I don't know. She's not really saying anything. Maybe this is just dead end. Yeah. A dead end. So he's like, no, why don't I like, you know, we'll go the long way home to your house, you know, but even all the way home, she's not really saying anything. Okay. As they park in her driveway and she just doesn't seem to want to get out of the car. And at this point- she wants to make out with him. Yeah. And he's not making a move. Yeah. So it's past two in the morning at this point. Okay. The police have been listening since like 730. So they're like practically falling
0: asleep at this point. Of course. Yeah. But, like, get your shit together. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> so he finally is like, you know what? I think that I'm just going to, like, you know, maybe you should just go home. I got to I'm getting tired. Like, let's.
0: Yeah. I got to go.
1: You know, let's call it. And you guys, if you want to go to the Dateline Secrets Uncovered, you can hear parts of this oh my God, actual no tape. Yes. All of a sudden, she just completely opens up. And it is Crazy. So here are some snippets from this crazy conversation from CJ Wynn's book, which she pulled from the actual okay. court transcripts. So when Matt complained that he was tired and ready to leave, she started getting frustrated. He said, are you pissed? No, she explained that wasn't it. It was more than that. I'm hateful. I'm just a miserable person, she said. Like, what do you hate? He said. I don't know. I'm just mad all the time. And I don't know why. Like, at who? Are you mad at your husband? He said. No. Like, I'm proud of him. I'm just pissed that he got caught and that he got sloppy and impatient. Then she said, because we, like, had this thing planned for, like, two fucking years. We were just waiting. Proud of him. We planned this. Matt was stunned. Seriously? Jesus. Yeah, seriously. Like, I helped him. When he worked nights, I would leave the house at midnight and sit outside her house in my vehicle, seeing who came to the house when her boyfriend left. Yeah, we fucking had this thing planned out, and he fucked it up. So she was right the whole time. That people were watching her. That Cindy was watching her. And that she was stalking her. psycho. When Matt asked her to explain how Richie had fucked it up, Cindy complained that he had not cleaned the car good enough. One fucking spot of blood in my car. I don't even fucking know how it happened. He came home that night and he said it got sloppy. She fought back. He had to do what he had to do. I helped him clean up. He left again to like, I don't know, dispose the clothing and the weapon and everything. I thought we were in the clear. She went on to further criticize the Minot Police Department for devaluing her Honda Pilot after they searched it and took carpet samples. A woman was dead and Cindy's biggest concern was getting $9,000 less because her car was worth less when she traded it in babe. It's a
0: crime scene.
1: So Matt was, by the way, they should hire Matt because he's like a really good double agent. He's like, I'm just gonna keep focusing on how you guys planned this for two years. Can we go back to that one? Yeah. Like what? Let's rewind. Also, it took two years. Yeah. He goes two years though. Weren't you guys only married for two years? So you hated her that much right away? She goes, yeah. See, I'm very like, I don't even know what kind of word to describe me. I'm a school teacher and I'm a mom, but I'm very like no feelings, no emotion.
0: So you're a sociopath.
1: Yes, you are a psycho.
0: Yeah, and I never want you teaching any children ever.
1: Like when the cops came into my school and questioned me and said she was dead, I was like, okay, if you tell me my grandpa's dead, I'll react the same way. (gasps) Wait, It gets worse. Oh, no. No, she's evil. Listen to this. Get ready. People die all the time. I really don't care. She was stabbed 44 times. I don't fucking care. Are the kids better off? I fully believe it 100%. I just wish he would have flown down to Florida and killed her mom also. Because they were fighting for custody. He just had so much anger toward her. That's why he couldn't do just one jab to the jugular and get out. No, he fucking went psycho on her because of the hate and anger. She was proud of the violence her husband had inflicted on his ex-wife. Now, at this point, and you guys will see Matt in the Dateline if you watch this episode. He was, like, actually sick to his stomach. He was like, Uh,
0: "Yeah, I'm in in the car with a psychopath. And you just have to pretend that you're also psycho. And he has to just pretend
1: like he's so cool and this is, like, hot and sexy and fun that they're talking about it. And he was, like, literally trying not to be ill. Like, throw up. Mm Mm-hmm. She did have one compliment for Angela, though. She put up a good fight. She did. And Matt said, well, I'm sure she was fighting for her life. Cindy complained that Angela had scratched Richie's face during the struggle, leaving his DNA under her fingernails. And that's what got him, too. If it was me, I fucking would have gone back and cut her fucking fingers off. I would have burned them. I would have lit the house on fire.
0: Yeah, you say that.
1: Also... There was a two-year-old child in the house. Would yeah. you really have done that? Yeah, you're would a school you have, teacher. You're a school teacher. You would have killed a it two-year-old seems like toddler? It like the fact
0: that Richie actually locked the door was like some mm. sort of weird protection thing as a parent. Like, obviously, the whole him killing her and how he killed her was absolutely horrific. But the fact that the door was locked, I don't know, I have like a weird feeling that he didn't want the kid to like see it. Yeah. And she's saying she's going to kill the fucking two-year-old uh-huh. and light him on fire. <sighs> Like so when I cannot believe this
1: is on tape is it's gold. The detectives are on the Dateline as well, and they were like we were high fiving each other. We're just like (laughs) shots, (laughs) shots, 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 (laughs) shots. Matt, do you mind your former profession and pour us some fireballs? Wow. Yeah. So she went on. I mean, she said more when Richie returned home that night. Cynthia said he showered to get all of Angela's blood off of him. Cindy yelled at him to make sure that he was cleaned up and that he cleaned up all of the blood in their car and bathroom sink. When they were confident that everything was acceptably clean, the murderous husband and wife had sex to celebrate their accomplishment. She said, quote, we fucked and then we slept for like an hour and then I got up and went to work. Wow. Wow. So Matt changed the subject and began to chastise Richie for basically being an idiot. It's like I said before, he said, a knife is a stupid fucking way to kill somebody. But it was supposed to be a gun, Cindy said. The problem was they did have a gun, like an unregistered gun. Yeah, It was untraceable, she said. But it was old and it kept jamming every time Richie took it, which indicated that he had attempted to kill Angela prior to that night. yeah. Uh, Cindy next described for Matt the plans she and Richie had made to try to escape from jail. If Richie had been successful in chiseling his way through the window of his cell in August of 2016, Cindy had a burner phone, some clothes, a vehicle and money waiting for him. But before he would skip town, Richie had one more mission to accomplish. He was going to kill his ex-cellmate, leave a suicide note that made it seem like that ex-cellmate had actually killed Angela, and then skip town.
0: <laughs> so Richie is a Lifetime movie. Oh, he,
1: re- <laughs> he really is. I mean, he should be with Sarah Jo Pender, I swear to God, only she's <gasps> way more successful than he is.
0: Seriously.
1: <laughs> way more. I mean, there, guys, there was even more. There's like more, she was spilling her gut. I mean, she was even bragging about how it was actually really exciting for her to stalk and scare Angela. Like she was saying, like, I just kept wondering, like, would she come out of the house and catch me? Like, was I scaring her? Like she was getting off on this creepy ass shit. So detectives at this point were like, fucking Yahtzee. We got this. We got it. I mean, there's nothing more. They have everything they need. The poor Matt. I mean, he was like drained. He said that he finally was like, well, it's been a night. Good night. See you again. Right? We'll see each other again. I'll see you tomorrow.
0: Let's have breakfast. Yeah.
1: And it's just (laughs) also, guys, I am like, I can't believe that this is what's affected me the most about the situation, but- The author of the book that I read did talk to Cindy later, like I've mentioned, and she talks about how she had this conversation with this guy and how she was so fucking stupid to trust him and how he had never before in any of their like time together picked her up or dropped her off. So she should have known. But then she's like, and you know, and looking back, it was like really dumb of me. And when I came into the house, I felt so bad because my three-year-old was screaming on the floor and probably had been screaming for hours and I had just been in the driveway like spilling my guts to this guy who didn't care about me she had left her three-year-old child home alone while she went out drinking all night
0: oh my god I mean she
1: I mean she's a terrible killer person like I that should not be the worst thing that she did but just like I <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, having a, a kid I'm like how, how dare you how dare dare you? And coming back into the house and having that child screaming, you're lucky that kid didn't get out of the house and run into the street and die. It's just, it breaks my heart. Those poor
0: children. I know. Are they okay now?
1: Uh, I mean, I think so. I don't I don't actually know what happened yeah, to them. Yeah, because they're I all pseudonyms. Know. They're all pseudonyms and they're all minor children. And I don't actually know what, what happened to... Um,
0: Hopefully they're all with Angela's.
1: Well, I mean, there's a child that... Was Cindy and Richie's. Yeah. You know, but we'll get into at least Angela's children later. But yeah, this is unbelievable. So on May 19th, 2017, it was 2017. Just 15 days after her husband was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, Cynthia Wilder was arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit murder and an accomplice to escape. Cynthia
0: Cindy, Cynthia,
1: Cindy Wilder. Oh, man. So basically, as soon as she was arrested, which she had stepped down from her kindergarten teaching position it was just substitute teaching at that point. So they called her into the principal's office. She was literally called into the principal's office and her arrested. Murder. Yeah, that's wild. So they arrested her and she immediately knew it was Matt. She was like, fuck that guy. Yeah. But then she and her attorney found out that it was also recorded, which she had
0: no idea.
1: So when they found that out, of course, they knew that she was screwed. So the prosecutor offered Cindy a plea deal for 25 years. No, Cindy turned it down. She decided instead to enter an Alford plea, which we've talked about. It means that the defendant does not admit to guilt, but recognizes that the evidence the prosecution has is enough to convict. Now, it would be up to the discretion of the judge at Cindy's sentencing hearing to decide what her punishment should be. Because she entered this plea and it doesn't come with any sort of deal. Okay. At the May 2018 hearing, Prosecutor Kelly Dillon, who, by the way, also prosecuted Cindy's husband, Richie, and is on the Dateline, if you guys want to check that out. I'm really pushing the Dateline this time. At the May 2018 hearing, prosecutor Kelly Dillon, who also prosecuted Cindy's husband, Richie, in his trial and was on the Dateline, presented the case against Cindy. She talked about the heinous nature of the crime and Cindy's callous and remorseless behavior then and now. Prosecutor Dillon recommended 30 years for Cindy's case with five years suspended. So 25 years altogether. Cindy was the only person to make a statement on her own behalf to convince the judge to go lightly. And I don't think she did a really good job. She came across as cocky and remorseless, and she repeatedly referred to Angela's children as her own children.
0: Nope. 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 no, no.
1: She had the audacity to claim the children of the woman whose life she stole.
0: Yeah. No, honey.
1: When prosecutor Dylan cross-examined her, she brought up a part of the recording, and this is true, where Cindy told Matt that she wasn't really pumped about her kids and probably didn't even love them the way Matt loved his car. (laughs) Because she kept saying, like, it was for the better of the kids and Angela was a bad mom, and she was like, insulting the murder victim and saying that like she was just always trying to do the right thing for the kids. And the prosecutor was like, really, do you want to refer to this part of the recording where you're like, I'm not really that pumped about my kids. Like I probably don't even like them as much as you like your car, but you know, they're probably better off with me than their crazy grandma. And that's literally what she said on the tape. So she really didn't come off that well. And Cindy's attorney requested a sentence of 20 years with 10 years suspended. No. So his... So 10 fucking years. 10 years. His justification was that she had not actually committed the murder. And the actual murderer was serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Yeah, but she stalked her for two years
0: and planned the murder.
1: Yeah. So the prosecution is saying 25 to 30. The defense is saying... This was an isolated incident of one person that she didn't really like. She's never going to do it again. She's a kindergarten teacher. You know, let's let her go with 10 years. So what do you think the judge decided? I think. uh, Like, how much time do you think a judge would reasonably give this
0: person? 35 to life.
1: So the presiding judge was a mother of four named Stacy Louser. And the Honorable Judge Louser was not having Cindy's shit. So, okay, guys, this is gonna be a little bit long. Usually I only read a snippet of the judge's statements, but Judge Louser was so on the money here, I just gotta read a little extra. So this is also from Wilder Intentions with CJ Wynn. The premeditation that went into committing this crime is as disturbing as the steps subsequently taken in your efforts to cover it up. The murder of Angela Wilder was not provoked. This was nothing but a cold-blooded, premeditated, calculated, targeted murder. The court does not believe that your actions in conspiring with Richie Wilder to commit murder and your participating in his attempted escape was premised on anything other than selfish desires. Yep. You abuse the most important position of trust that there is, and that is the trust of a child. The court cannot help but believe that after November 13th, 2015, Angela Wilder's children likely look to you for answers, for comfort and for security many times over when trying to comprehend not only the death of their mother, but also the horrific nature of her death. The fact that you were able to pretend to be a source of comfort all the while hiding your involvement in the crime speaks volumes oh as to your attitude and character.
0: Oh my God, she's a legend. Smack
1: down. Your actions have forever robbed these children of their mother and life as they once knew it. In this court's opinion, your actions are the ultimate form of child abuse. Oh. Stacy, No family should ever endure the hell that was perpetrated on Ms. Wilder and her family. There is no punishment for you which can ever be close to filling the void that Ms. Wilder's family will forever experience. There is no restitution or reparation that can ever be made. The phrase, to the world you are one person, but to one person you are the world, comes to mind. Although Angela Wilder was one person, quite likely she was the world to many people. The court did not know Angela Wilder, but it is apparent that she had many roles. She was a student, a sibling, a daughter, a fiancé. Of all her roles, it is the court's speculation that the role she was most proud of was
0: being a mother. Oh, my God, lay the fucking hammer down. (laughs) Yes.
1: Now, C.J. Wynn wrote, being a mother for herself, the part that had obviously impacted Judge Louser was that there was three young children that would never again see their mother. It would be said later by those in the courtroom that tears could be seen glistening in the judge's eyes and that her voice caught in her throat as she gave her final remarks. Because of your actions... Angela Wilder's children have forever been robbed of making memories, sharing their joys, their triumphs, and their heartache with their mother. Although there may be situations where those who physically commit a crime such as this are punished more severely than those who only play a role, the planning that went into orchestrating the murder of Angela Wilder leaves the court with no doubt that this is not one of those situations. (gasps) Ultimately... Whether you played the role of the puppet or the puppet master in this tragic plot is a question that may not be known. But what is known is you were the one person who could have stopped this nightmare. You were the one person who could have intervened, who could have called law enforcement when Richie Wilder left your home. You were the one person who could have spared Angela Wilder's life, and you chose not to do so. The state and your attorney provided their recommendation for sentencing, and the court stated any sentence imposed would be the court's discretion. I am hereby remanding you to the North Dakota Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation as to count one conspiracy to commit murder to a sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility Shut of parole.
0: The fuck up. She is literally my hero. Elwap surprise Elwap. Okay, she's though, like, is she like your favorite judge that we've ever read?
1: A boss. And then she wasn't quite done yet, though, she said. She tacked on an additional five years for the accomplice to escape charge. And she also issued a no-contact order on behalf of Angela Wilder's mother. She said, you're never talking to Angela Wilder's kids ever again. And she said, Ms. Wilder, you have no legal rights to the children of Angela Wilder. And I do want to be
0: very clear.
1: Those are the children of Angela Wilder and not you.
0: I wish that she adopted the children. (laughs) (laughs) Her four kids are
1: pretty lucky because that is some serious mama bear judge energy right there
0: literally, I cannot. Aren't you speechless? Yes, that was amazing. That's why I had
1: to read more than I usually do. And I cut some parts out, guys. I mean, there's a full transcript where she let her have it. I mean, even the prosecution was like, you know, 25 to 30 years, whatever. And she was like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm not letting this bitch get away with this. I mean, to think about the fact that she stalked though that
0: I know those kids.
1: Helped in the killing and the covering up and then raised her children. I mean, can you imagine you'd be turning over in your grave. I know. I know. It's
0: horrific. Clearly
1: the the judge felt the same way. So I mean, wow, we have never had a surprise twist L no, before.
0: That's amazing.
1: It's unbelievable. So Cindy remains in prison to this day. 30-year-old Cindy petitioned the court for the chance to withdraw her plea and stand trial on the grounds of ineffective counsel, and it was officially denied in September of 2021. They said, nope. Matt Walters said to Keith Morrison on Dateline, basically, I'm responsible for ending another person's life in any meaningful way, which is fine. She deserves it but it is still kind of a hard thing to deal with to know that you ended someone's life. There is a weight on me.
0: Oh, no, I don't want him to feel like that. I know, he did the right thing. I mean, what if she was still raising Angela's children? Yeah, no, he, uh, I hope he's gone to therapy and, like, yeah. sorted that out.
1: I mean, but that, that just shows, though, that's what a normal people with, empathetic feelings would feel like they would have a concern about you know having that responsibility it's how jurors feel often you know
0: the thing that he has to be doing is like focusing on that he didn't end her life he helped the kids thrive with people who actually are going to care about them yes I mean I agree with you completely which I think is probably like hard for a guy who's completely disassociated with those kids to like wrap his head around but I think like for us as like parents like it's like those kids need to be with people who well, are like thank goodness. helping them. Thank
1: goodness for that guy and thank goodness for the judge. Because if something, God forbid, happened to one of us like that and people like that didn't step forward. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine any worse fate than knowing that the person that contributed to my murder was raising my children. What? Yeah, I can't I can't, I really can't. And so you know, thank goodness for those yeah. two people yes. that were involved in this. Richie also attempted an appeal, but it was
0: extremely quickly denied are they like in the same prison but like apart from each other no
1: no actually they're not cj Wynn said that there was a rumor that richie attempted another escape of course did he like carve his way (laughs) through the (laughs) shithole and as a result he was moved to a higher security penitentiary in california sorry He's in your state. But he's so dumb. He's never going to get out. Don't worry. Yeah. He's going to almost certainly die behind bars. Author CJ Nguyen also did another truly wonderful thing when she petitioned Minot State University to posthumously award Angela with her nursing degree. They did it. The diploma
0: was- How could you not?
1: Yeah. The diploma was presented to Angela's loved ones. So cute. Ugh. Angela's children are being raised by her mother, and Carter is being raised by his loving father, Christopher. Great. Yeah. C.J. Wynn closed out her book by reminding the readers and all of us that the story is not about Cindy and Richie. It's about Angela. Yes. And it was so amazing. And also, like, guys, I said, she's a first-time Writer And she clearly was so connected to this case that I don't usually do this, but I really want to close out on what she said. She wrote, Richie and Cynthia will someday be long forgotten. But the memory of Angela's beaming smile, her pride in being a mother, her fierce love and devotion to her family and friends, and her deep desire to help others will shine brightly every day in the lives of those she touched the most. But what about Beth? I mean, Beth is a pseudonym, too. I don't know really who took care of their baby. Cindy has a sister, Abigail. She's also on the Dateline. Cool. Okay. She's got some real groovy hair. Really? Yeah. She's got some fun hair. She seems like a very, you know, level-headed person. I don't know if she took
0: custody. But she has some people.
1: Uh, There's also, you know, Richie Wilder supposedly came from a loving family. And, you know, we have heard about these cases where there's a good family that has a bad apple. So in either case, you know, I wish all of the children in this circumstance. Well, unfortunately, in two of these parents, determination that a certain, you know, their children would be better off without a certain parent. Those children lost three parents.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm.
1: And I mean, that's the tragedy about the whole thing. Yeah. Is that they decided they didn't want to split custody, and instead they removed three out of four of the adults... Yeah. ...who were the stability in these children's life. And that's... I mean, we talk about it all the time, that how terrible it is when, you know, an ex-partner, a partner decides to kill the other parent of their child. Yeah. It's just a terrible thing. So... You know, thank you so much, Janelle, for bringing this case to our attention. Yes. Oh, my
0: God. It's It's, such an
1: important love murder case. It is. It's very intense. It's very surprising. I mean, also, I guess like Cindy had been talking smack to Matt Walter. She's being like, he would have gotten away with it, but he couldn't shut his fucking mouth. And then in the end, she couldn't shut her mouth, you know? All right. Well, thank you so much to Janelle and to author CJ Nguyen because I really did appreciate this book a lot. In conclusion, if you guys are like getting over a guy where you've had like a kind of a casual sex thing, I do not think that the best way to get over him is to immediately marry somebody else and then start plotting the murder
0: of his ex-wife. Yeah, and then you like- Reach out on Facebook and you hit him up and you like, you know, reintroduce, like maybe like you're flirting a little bit. And then you like accidentally tell him about how you were like involved in the murder. Of- no, don't do that. No. Don't do it. You, it's like, babe, he's wearing a wire.
1: Also, just not, not good sex talk. I'm, it's not good pillow talk. No, indeed not. Indeed not yes absolutely this was all wrong all over the place and you know what if it's been you know two two and a half years and he hasn't reached back out to you don't get in touch out of the blue on facebook in general even if you're not going to
0: admit to a murder yeah but you can if you are a murderer because i want you to get caught
1: (laughs) That's a good
0: point. Yeah. That is a good point. (laughs) Yeah. And as always, trust
1: your gut when it comes to love or trusting that bad boy philosophical bartender so no one ends up murdered. Adios. Bye.